I got my pellet gun. I'm going out back with my corn cob pipe, and I'm going to shoot me some squirrels. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, North Texas sports fans. Welcome to Sports Day Insider from the Dallas Morning News. It's your weekly update on all things Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, Stars. Should I go on? I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Evan Grant. And I'm David Moore. We break down the calls, the playmakers, and all the inside scoop right here every Tuesday. And you can stay up to date on every Sports Day Insider episode and other great shows. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate the Dallas Morning News feed. It really does make a difference. Guys, can we get the show started? Let's do it. Here we go, sports fans. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider. We are so glad that you are listening today. And joining me is David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. I know you're distracted a bit today by wildlife in your neighborhood. <laughs> Maybe we can touch on that after you introduce our. Well, I, you know, speaking of nuts, next podcast. Uh, yeah, there's uh, Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. How's it going over there with the varmints? Well, I'm watching this squirrel sit outside up on my fence where he chews on the top of it or chews on the side of our, our apartment out back. Uh, and he's eating something. It, it looks like one of my tomatoes. And uh, if he's going to start eating the produce, I'm going to have to start charging him or I'm going to have to get me a pellet gun and maybe uh, try to scare him off. Well, I'm glad to see you've walked it back because you actually had a more violent response in our pre-show, which was rather disturbing, actually. Well, you know, squirrels are real cute, but they're just cute rats. That's all they are, just cute rats. Uh, that's, the, that's the issue here. You know, I, I was okay with squirrels until last year. I had these uh, wax myrtles out on the side of my house, and, the, and they were sharpening their teeth by chewing off the tops of them, you know? So it was like... I go out there and there's all these little branches lying all around on the, on the ground. And I look up and my nice, pretty uh, umbrella, at the top of this wax myrtle has been lifted uh, by these squirrels. So anyway, I, I stopped becoming a fan of, of wildlife, uh, at least squirrels uh, at that point. We did have like a, a few years ago, we actually had, when we'd go in the backyard, we called this squirrel affectionately Scarface <laughs> because it, it did have, and it was, when we would go outside and it was there first, it would get uncomfortably close and just start yelling at us. <laughs> was he like cussing at you? And you know, stuff? It was all, all summer that Scarface was there all summer. And like, you know, suddenly we'll be having a nice relaxing afternoon in the backyard and suddenly Scarface would show up and chase us off. Wow, I, I guess in the in the movie version of this, will uh, who who will play this? This will be say, uh, say hello to my little friend. He came out with us. <laughs> right. Just doing cocaine off of our uh, chairs oh, in the backyard. Oh my gosh, uh, who who would have known it had been that tough? It's a it's a tough <laughs> world out there, you know, to get by, and you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do, right, Evan? You guys are on a roll. Just just go right on ahead. <laughs> Evan, Evan's a little too urban to is, have is there a, any, a squirrel. Is there anything issue. worse than a disinterested Evan? I mean, we get this occasionally, just the, like, no I, use for anything we have to say. You didn't need to qualify, just Evan in general. That's 
I no, mean, come on. I, I mean, Evan I don't know. The numbers, the numbers are going to be really up this week for squirrel talk. Squirrel talk. Listen, there's a lot of people out there who love to talk about squirrels. Let me tell you. Yep. Uh, th- there are. Uh, come listen to a little story. Uh, so, uh, Welcome to Rambling on Rodents. I'm Kevin Sherrington. I got my pellet gun. I'm going out back with my corncob pipe, and I'm going to shoot me some squirrels. We don't we don't have corn cob pipes, okay? What do you, so there, okay? There's a fallacy in that whole argument right there. I think that's uh, a Georgia coming out in him. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. All right, uh, it's enough squirrel talk. Uh, let's let's move <laughs> on. Uh, the the Mavericks are playing uh, are in the playoffs now. They are the fifth seed, and we had a little uh, reader um, roundtable where uh, it was me and Brad Townsend and Callie Kaplan and. And we talked and answered questions, and and I had pointed out that I had uh, picked the Mavericks to finish fifth in the West and um, in the seedings, and before the season started, and, and Brad, of course, had to be a smart aleck and look it up and find out that actually I picked them to finish fourth. So they did, <laughs> they did not meet my expectations, but they came closer, certainly a lot closer than I thought they were going to come back in January when the season started was such a disaster. Uh, so David, uh, because of that, you know, our, our pal, Tim Callishaw has said that, uh, it's time for, uh, Rick Carlisle to come up with the kind of miracle he produced when the Mavericks won it all, a, a performance that, um, Charles Barkley has called one of the greatest coaching jobs in the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. Uh, and maybe the last because of the fact that they had one superstar and a, and a, and a lot of good role players and uh, and still won it all. And you, and you just don't do that in today's NBA anymore. Yeah. I, first to clarify, Tim Callishaw may be your pal. I, I don't know that we want to extend that to the rest of the wow, podcast. Man. But we're airing our dirty laundry. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is. This is an unusual, and I thought Tim hit on it here. This is an unusually extended, prolonged stretch of a coach, even coming off a championship, that has not been able to win a playoff series. And everyone just kind of shrugs and goes, eh, no big deal. Let's see what they do next year. Um, You know, the Cuban immediately lowered the expectations for this club coming off the championship by letting so many players go. Which again, I I always love how how players and coaches talk about the importance of chemistry, and uh, there's some things you just can't duplicate. And then as soon as you get to the off season, really on role players, you're willing to let them go because you can find a role player who has more talent, and you totally dismiss that chemistry. Which is what which is what happened to that championship team, not even getting a chance to defend its title. Um, and in my mind, you could have justified that stance if you came back a year or two after that and you built back to a certain level, you know, if there was more of a method to it. Uh, but there wasn't. They just continued to decline. And, you know, I think really you go and you look at it. Um, Rick Carlisle now is the 15th winningest coach in NBA history. And he's gone 10 years uh, without like a playoff victory. Of the 14 coaches in front of him on that list, the longest stretch is Jerry Sloan, and that's six years, and that was after Carl Malone and John Stockton were gone. And I think, you know, Greg Popovich now is like on year, you know, potentially on year four. Uh, 
you just don't see a coach stay in one spot 10 years without winning a playoff series. And, and it's a given that he's going to come back to coach again the next season. Um, you know, Cuban's Cuban is for all of his volatility is very, is very much about stability almost to a fault when it comes to coaches. But, but I tell you, if I, you know, Dallas played the, the Clippers last year and, and another six-game series or a seven-game series and a loss, I don't know how anyone can point to that as improvement. And I, I think this, if they do not advance to the second round, uh, I think the heat gets turned up on, on Rick Carlisle quite a bit, and, and justifiably so. Yeah, I, I'm kind of mixed emotions about this thing, whole thing with Rick Carlisle. You know, what you're looking for is, A, how does the, how does the team respond to him? Uh, there were different times this year where it was hard to tell. You know, uh, how much of this was COVID related? How much of it is uh, just guys still trying to work their way back in? How much of it is the fact that your second best player can't stay on the floor? You know, those are all issues that are beyond his control. Uh, but at some point, you know, you, you do make the coach, you know, accountable for that. Uh, that's that's part of his job. He, he ends up, take, whether it's his fault or not, he ends up uh, taking the fall for it. Uh, towards the end of the year, they started to, re- to rebound and guys seemed to be playing better. Josh Richardson, uh, played better. Uh, and I think that was a real key for me watching this team is that, you know, your emphasis on the off season was improving the defense, uh, to go forward. And so you could defend guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Who's going to defend those guys? You know, well, they go out and get Josh Richardson. Man, that he comes in and he, he didn't play particularly well, you know, Two years ago in Miami, he was uh, um, considered one of the best two-way players in the NBA. Uh, he goes to Philadelphia, doesn't have a very good year. Uh, everybody thinks maybe it's just bad chemistry. He comes here. Well, he wasn't great here either. Uh, and but how much of that was COVID? You know, he, he was. Uh, he might have been impacted by that more than than anybody else on the team, according to what Brad hears. So that becomes a very you know uh, sensitive issue for me because, as you know when people talk about improving defense to me in the NBA, uh, either you're a defensive player or you're not, maybe we can get you to, to do a few stops here and there. That's the most you can really expect of, of a guy who's not naturally a great defensive player. Uh, because and especially if they're, if they're carrying the offensive load, that's just going to be really hard to do. So is Josh Richardson going to be, uh, what they thought he was going to be. I feel like going into these playoffs, he is a real factor for them, especially this first round. They got to get somebody to slow down Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Uh, last year, uh, for most of the playoffs, Paul George slowed himself down in that first round until the very end of it. And then, then it was all over at that point. So he has to be that, I think. Um, and And is he going to be – Doing that off the bench, uh, is Tim Hardaway going to still be in the starting lineup as he has been here at the end? I, I think you can make the case Tim Hardaway's been their second-best player the last month. So. Oh, I agree. Yeah, Hardaway, the way he's playing. And, and look, this is, you know, the, the question about Porzingis' durability is minimized if he's able to stay on the court for a playoff series or two. You know, then then you'd look at the missing the games in the regular season a little bit differently if he's able to stay on the court in the playoffs and produce, but he can't go out early in the series like he did last year. And that just, uh, uh, then you're just, you're just feeding back into the narrative and the frustration, which has become Christoph Porzingis 
uh, short tenure here in Dallas. So this is, this is, you know, like I say, it's big for Richardson. I think it's big for Hardaway, but I think this series is huge for uh, Rick Carlisle and, and uh, Porzingis for different reasons. Yeah, I think so too. You know, it's funny you should admit, you mentioned Jerry Sloan a while ago and, and that's what Donnie Nelson told me uh, several years ago after an early playoff exit was that uh, we want Rick to be our Jerry Sloan. Uh, and, uh, and, and what you said is exactly right. I've always thought this was interesting about Mark Cuban for, for all the, the feeling that, boy, this is a guy that you'd be, be, you'd have a hard time working for is that he has pretty much kept people on, you know, Tredema Usri stayed here a lot longer than he should have as a president of the organization that that's just Don Nelson. MO. He didn't even like Don. I mean, it was well-documented. They had the way he butted heads with Don Nelson and there wasn't a lot of like, a respect there, especially in the final three to four years with Don Nelson here. And he still wouldn't cut ties with Don Nelson until Nelson said, okay, it's time to make this transition to Avery. Yeah. And then and and Avery fired himself, essentially. I can't imagine anybody else uh, surviving that. So, so my feeling is uh, until uh, Luka Doncic says, you know what? I don't like Rick Carlisle. And then he's out, you know, pretty much he's out before uh, Luka finishes the sentence. You know, yeah, uh, and, and I'm not even sure it's not like I, I think it, any ambivalence on, on Luca's part as well. If you don't have any postseason success, is going to be enough to say, well, okay, we've got to, we've got to take a, we don't want to do it, but we've got to take a good long hard look at this. And and I don't think we're advocating any change here. We're just saying uh, he's had an extended grace period coming off of that championship, which I think that the the really. The, the, that grace period has come to an end from this playoff series going forward. Yeah. All right. So having said that, uh, what's your prediction then on this first round? Well, I really, I'd lean toward the Clippers and I have, but this Dallas team is much better equipped to stack up with them than they did last year. And, and, and I don't know that this Clippers team, you know, last year they were really kind of, uh, a championship favorite going in. You don't hear that buzz about them this year. I don't think anybody views them in those terms. No. And um, and they have not played well in the stretch going in either. And, and I don't know that they've accomplished enough as a team where they can turn it on and off. I mean, I, I feel better about the Lakers not playing well in the stretch uh, and, and actually rising to the occasion more so than the Clippers. Um, I think this is a much better matchup for Dallas than it was last year. If you really believe that Luka Doncic is a transformative player and there's no reason to believe that he's not, uh, another part of that is winning some series when you're an underdog early. And I think Dallas is positioned pretty well uh, to win this series. I don't think they'll be favored to win the series, but, but I think they have a really good shot at, at taking this and getting to the next round. I, w- I would give them a, a better shot if they were the home team in this series. And I'm going to say in a long series in seven games, it's awfully hard to win uh, the seventh game uh, on the opposing court. So I'm going to go with the Clippers here. But I, I, I think it should be a really good series. Uh, and, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Mavericks pulled it out. But I'm going to say Clippers in seven. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for our Mavericks segment. We're going to also talk uh, about the uh, the Rangers in a little while. But first, before we get there, we're going to switch to our new, very popular addition to the uh, podcast, which we call our potpourri. Uh, the, the response to potpourri last week was overwhelming. I, I couldn't get over 
the number of people who rushed up to me as I would just walk down the street in my neighborhood uh, eyeing squirrels. Uh, and and they would just they they were just blown away by it. So anyway, that's a there's a certain gonna, buzz and electricity that's been generated by that segment that I, I don't think any of us anticipated. No, I think and and if we can route that the electricity to Evan, that would be really great. <laughs> uh, to get Evan a little charged up. But anyway, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Cowboys first in that uh, potpourri, and uh, they're kind of uh, in a little bit of a uh, for for me anyway. It's this is a lull. When you're when you're these OTAs and mini camps and rookie mini camps and all this kind of stuff, I just can't get up for this kind of stuff, David. I'm sorry. So we're going we're not going to talk about any of that uh, because of that. We're going to talk about the fact that the the Cowboys have announced that Dak Prescott will be ready for training camp. Should be ready to go. Uh, I, and I guess the the way they put it is is that he's going to do everything he's supposed to do. No limitations on him, right? Yeah, uh, the the question was he was talking about. We were asking where he was uh, as far as the off season program, and, and they're in phase two this week uh, before you glaze over. And next week they actually start with the organized team activities, so we'll be able to see them on the field uh, one day a week for the first time. Uh, the veterans, uh, but uh, he was saying, you know, he's 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 ahead of their projections. Uh, he's cleared to do a lot of things on the field. And, and then, so, you know, I asked Mike McCarthy, well, will he be clear? Will he be fully cleared medically for the start of training camp, which will be, uh, that date's not set yet, but it's going to be July 22nd or 23rd will be the first day of camp. And, uh, McCarthy didn't, didn't dance around it at all. He, it was a very definitive. Yeah. From everything that we see, we, we don't, we expect him to be able to do every single thing once camp starts. Now, I don't know that that means they're going to let him go in every single practice, you know, every single snap of every single practice. I think they will probably be judicious with it and spot him here and there. Uh, but the fact that he'll be cleared medically for the start of training camp uh, is, is significant. Evan, you know, I want to I want to draw you in on this because you, know, you, you look really bored. Uh, but uh, what what do you think when you when you saw Dak Prescott's injury uh, last year? What were your what was your thinking about what's his future? Is he going to be uh, compromised by this? Will it affect him physically? Will it affect him mentally? What What were your thoughts? I felt like it was going to be a career changing injury, um, a Joe Theismann kind of thing. I don't want to I, I don't want to go quite there, but yeah, I mean, I, I just it was it was so grotesque and the part of the, the body is so important to who Dak is that I really was concerned that it would have an impact on his mobility. Um, I'm not so sure that I, that I, that I thought it would make him scared or, or have any trepidation. I just, I just wondered about the ability to kind of bounce back and, and be able to, to run the way that, that he's been able to run in his career to this point. David, do you, do you think, because this is an interesting thing for me on players and, and always when they've had something really scary happen to him, when Willie Calhoun was hit in the face last year, it took him a long time to, to get over that. Um, and it's just a, a natural thing to have happen. Do you think if there is any impact on Dak at all, it will be more physical or more mental? I've, 
I think the farther you get away from it, it's more physical, if that makes sense. You know, I think initially, initially the mental is a little bit more because you're going, okay, is this comparable to the situation where I got hurt before? Do I want to run here? Do I want to expose myself here? I think the, so I think that's more mental. So I think really the farther you get away from it, the mental dissipates and it's the physical because you get used to what your body can do now again. And then it's just physically whether or not you can do that or you put yourself in that position. And, uh, you know, will he be more careful? I, I think Dak has always done a good job of picking his spots where he runs. Uh, I don't think he runs indiscriminately. I don't think he runs as, as a uh, first or second resort. I think it by and large is a last resort. I will say the, and he's saying that maybe he's got to be a little bit smarter about it. But he got across, but if you need four yards for a first down, I'm going to run, you know, any way I need to run to get that four yards or more for the first down. And and to me, the issue is more on the red zone. Uh, you've seen Dak Prescott take some tremendous hits on the red zone when he runs. But I'll also say when he doesn't run, their their red zone offense is not nearly as efficient. So, I mean, that's a big part of their efficiency in the red zone. And um, but, but, you know, even in that situation, it's more about taking a hit. This was in an open field, exposed and an awkward, you know, position. Uh, I, I think that's probably mentally and physically initially where it's going to be, okay, I already got 15 yards here. I already got the first. Why am I trying to extend this to get another 10 when I know I'm not going to score? I'll just go down right now. I, I think that's where it'll be. That element of it, David, would be, would be smart, right? I mean, if you can take a little bit of the risk out of it, Absolutely. And and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. I don't feel like, and maybe it's just because Dak hasn't run as much as he potentially could have, but I don't feel like he's ever been a risky runner. Like he's, like he's really put his body um, in harm's way. Yeah. Unnecessary risk. Yeah. Um, So that part of it doesn't, doesn't concern me. I just, you just wonder if there are going to be physical limitations. I, and, and I hope they're, they're not. Um, I, I think that, you know, to compare it to Theismann, I would, I would only say this. I think Joe was a little bit older than Dak was when, when, he, when he suffered the injury. And I'm going to also say that medical therapies and medical recovery has been aided by science over the last 36 years. So um, I, 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 don't, I don't want to put them both on the same level. But it does just when, when, you know, when a guy who relies on his feet suffers an injury like that, you do wonder, okay, how physically will he bounce back? The one contrast I'd make with, I thought the Willie Calhoun thing was a really good point, but the one contrast I'd make here is, you know, if you're Willie Calhoun and you're standing in there against a left-handed pitcher, it's a very specific situation. It's all reaction. How do you pick up the ball? When When you're running or scrambling as Dak is, I think you're simply looking for the down and distance marker or where you need to get to. And it's not so much, I see, I see a a guy coming up here. Am I going to, you know, is the same injury going to take place? Yeah. And real quick, it's not just about running either. It's about, it's about, you know, setting your feet to throw. And when Dak has had accuracy issues, what has it been? His footwork hasn't been as precise and he concedes this that his footwork just hasn't been as good. And so it's, you know, that plant foot and, and 
torquing on it and throwing. I mean, that's going to feel a little bit different. And and certainly he's thrown a lot this offseason. But when you actually do it with a rush coming at you, uh, it's going to take a little bit of time, I think. You know, I'm going to just pass over the fact that David said that he was going to be twerking on that. Uh, I, I don't I don't think that's something that we want to see on a football field uh, from Dak Prescott or anybody else. Uh, so we're just going to pass right on that one. Uh, I right, think uh, he was actually saying twerking, but you. Oh, twerking. Oh, well, that's completely different. Uh, OK, you're in favor uh, of twerking, just not twerking. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we're going to talk now a little bit about golf. Uh, I was at the uh, at the tournament on Sunday when the monsoon passed through uh, at the Nelson at uh, TPC Craig Ranch. Uh, it was only one there. day of a monsoon, though, so that was considered a victory. That was a victory for the Nelson, exactly. It certainly was. But you can't have a Nelson without, you know, without horns blasting, right? It was civil defense alerts and everything else. You, you just can't have a Nelson without all that. Or without some kind of controversy. You know, that's the, the crazy thing about that tournament is that I always feel like I'm writing more about problems with greens, problems with players being mad about where they're playing, uh, problems of, uh, of weather than you are about the tournament itself. It just it seems to be the most star-crossed tournament on the entire PGA Tour. I will say uh, I'm going to have to uh, 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 back up here. Going back to last week, I'm going to make two uh, a little, uh, I don't, I don't want to say their apologies Two corrections. Perhaps that's me. I should put that one. I said that Rick bonus was probably going to get fired because of what happened uh, to the stars going from the standing cup finals to missing the playoffs completely. And I base that entirely on the fact that in the NHL, that's just what they always do. Let's just fire the coach. You know, anything can happen in the NHL and they'll just say, let's just fire the coach. So they, Jim Neal has already said he's coming back. He's, he thinks he did a great job. I don't know how that constituted a great job uh, missing the playoffs altogether, but at any rate, uh, Rick Bonus is going to be back. Number two, uh, I said last week that when the PGA of America was finished up there uh, just north of Frisco with that uh, with the two courses they're putting in there in their headquarters, that that the uh, the Nelson may end up there. Uh, it's my understanding now after talking to people out at uh, at the Nelson the other day. That's not going to happen uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, the, uh, the the two courses they're building out there, one of them, their championship course, they they would not make available to the Nelson. Uh, how about that? Uh, they they want to save that for the uh, PGA Championship, which they're having in 2027, the Ryder Cup, other events like that. Uh, and so, and then, and, and the way the schedule is right now, anyway, it doesn't mean it would be that way. And, 2027, but the, the Nelson came the week before the PGA championship. You wouldn't want to be at the same course two weeks in a row. You'd have to, you'd have to split that on the schedule. And what would that mean? Does that mean the Nelson would go to September? That sounds kind of crazy. So, uh, I, I think that it's probably going to stay at TPC Craig ranch for a long time. It's got a five-year deal with an option apparently for another one. Uh, I thought it went very well last week. The players liked it. It's a, it's a pretty wide open course. Fans liked it. There were fans everywhere, even with the uh, limited number of tickets sold. And there was plenty of parking, and that's a big deal. So these are all big issues going forward. Let's say real quick, uh, Jordan Spieth finished uh, ninth. It's first time to finish in the top ten ever in his hometown tournament. Uh, I, I took that as a good sign going into to the PGA this week. What do we think of Jordan's chances of winning the PGA? First, I still can't get to saying the PGA 
and it not being in August. I know it moved up, you know, but it, but it just seems so odd to have that as the second major now. Yeah. Uh, it's, but, but yeah. And now you're dropping it in between the Nelson and colonial, which, you know, have been paired and have been back to back periodically over the course of the last 20 years. It just seems strange, but uh, Speeth is back and put himself in position. You know, he, he revealed he had COVID, which I think put him back a little bit, but, but he played well in this tournament. In uh, his you know, short game has gotten back to where it was before. His putting's back closer to what it was when he was a top player in the world. Uh, he's someone you cannot dismiss going into this tournament, which for him is a huge stride considering uh, where he was the previous two years. Yeah, I think I'm going to say he's going to have a top 10 here. I'm not saying he's going to win, but I think his odds have been good. I'm going to predict a top 10 for him here at the PGA. That's, of course, the last major he needs to to achieve the Grand Slam. Uh, And that's been a big thing for him. Obviously, it's on his calendar every year. He looks for the PGA. I don't think he's going to do it this year, but I think he is getting himself in position to do that. And certainly in the next couple of years. All right, that's going to do it for our potpourri, and uh, our we had our uh, little Mavericks talk, and now we're moving over to the Rangers, where Evan Grant can really get in here and just let it rip. Uh, Evan, you know, I don't know if you saw this, uh, ESPN uh, on Monday, or, or Tuesday, actually, uh, came up with its uh, rankings of their computer projections, whatever it is, they, they, how they put this together for some of their baseball awards. And coming in at number 10 uh, in the AL MVP voting was the uh, shortstop, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Coming in sixth Cy Young voting was, uh, or Cy Young award, was uh, Kyle Gibson. And then coming in number one in Rookie of the Year, uh, Adolis Garcia. So that that uh, speaks pretty well for what the Rangers have been able to do so far this year. And surprised those are actually three surprises right there. I don't think anybody would have projected that those three guys would be in that position uh, at this point. It doesn't mean that they're going to win any of those awards. Uh, it doesn't know we don't know what they're going to do at this point. But I think it does say something about maybe the future here. Certainly, if uh, Connor Falefa can keep this up, what does that mean at shortstop, and what does that mean for your much ballyhooed uh, support? for the Rangers to go out and get Trevor Story to play shortstop? Uh, listen, I, I think that um, the Trevor Story thing made a lot of sense, but I think that it made a lot of sense if you felt like Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and Nick Solak, if didn't, one of them was not a potential solution. Well, they've been among the two best players on this team this year, um, and Isaiah has has hit in in addition to playing excellent defense. And so if by some chance, um, you know, if Isaiah hits, he's hitting 292 right now with a 787 OPS. If he hits above 750 on the OPS and, and plays the kind of defense he does with the presence that he's had in the clubhouse. Now, all of a sudden, I think you're looking at a guy that you say, we, this is a guy. Okay. This is a guy that we can, that we can play at shortstop every day and we can devote that money elsewhere. Um, the questions then become, where do you devote that money? And so many other things come into play. What's the deal with, where is Joey Gallo at the end of this year? Um, how far along do you think Josh Young is at third base? Uh, I, I think that you, you probably start to look at, 
could the club go after multiple starting pitchers as opposed to, say, maybe one starting pitcher? You're going to have Clayton Kershaw. You're going to have Max, Kershaw, Max Scherzer. You're going to have Noah Syndergaard all on the, on the market over the wintertime. Uh, those are all, you know, really intriguing options. You, if, if you decide not to go after one of the shortstops to play shortstop, there's nothing that says you couldn't, say, go after Corey Seager to play third base. Now, you'd have to pay a premium there. But that certainly is an intriguing option. Um, and then the other option would be Michael Conforto, the, the New York Mets outfielder, who could be, a, if, if you trade Gallo or you move on from Gallo um, via a, a, an offseason trade, all of a sudden now, you know, if Adolis Garcia keeps this up as well, you've got Garcia to play one of the corner spots. You've got Conforto either play center or right. Uh, and your, your outfield looks a lot better. So, uh, all that Isaiah and Nick do with their at, at the moment is continue to give the Rangers um, attractive options on how to film. It, it's not a problem. It's not a bug. It's a feature. Yeah, I, I have to say, you know, and I have not been a fan of Nick Solak at second base. Uh, he he's looking better to me. The, the more he plays the position, the smoother he gets, uh, and he is looking a little bit better there. And certainly, he's hitting well enough to play that position. And, and I, I want to talk about like kind of for Leffa, what he's been able to do. Um, let, let's, let's talk about the game uh, Monday night where uh, he uh, legged out a double on a ball that should have been a single, uh, then stole third base and then, then scored on, on Jose Trevino's single at the middle. Uh, you know, that's, that's all part of the game that he's bringing here. He leads, uh, I, I believe he leads, I know he leads the, the American league in, in defensive runs saved. I don't know if he leads all of baseball. Not at, not any longer. JP Crawford has, has just passed him, but he's he? still second. Yeah. Yeah. So he's playing really good defense. Like you said, he's hitting, he, he's running. He, he's really, he looks like, uh, well, I, you know, I know that people are still surprised nationally and I, and I, this always kind of blows me away that the Rangers, you know, uh, let uh, Elvis Andrus go and traded him to let Isaiah Counterfleffa play this position. And, and everybody looks at that as a shock nationally. And, and when in fact he is better pretty much at everything than Elvis did El what Elvis probably did best was, was run. And right now, uh, Kiner is, is at least as good as he is at that. So, uh, and then he does everything else better. He's a better defensive player. He's, he's a better hitter than Elvis was, uh, and his OPS is higher. I just think that it's been remarkable, the story of what he's been able to do here. So if if that's the case there, if those two guys are in the middle and you have to, the Rangers have to hope that Josh Young is the long-term answer at third base. Uh, to me, the, the, the places you look to, to add, to beef up the lineup a little bit, especially if Joey's gone, you're going to have to add another outfielder. Uh, I, Nate Lowe's done a nice job, but still not enough pop for a, a first baseman. Got to have a got to have a higher slugging percentage. He's going to have to do better than that. I don't know if that's in him or not uh, to do it. We'll see. Uh, that's something they can certainly find out. Uh, Jose Trevino at catcher. It's a lot harder to find offensive catchers than it is uh, at any other position. So I, I don't know what they can do there unless Sam Huff provides that when he comes back from injury. So they, I think the Rangers. To me, I think the bottom line in all this is that they are getting some answers and, and this is what you had to get from this season. I mean, so far anyway, we'll see how it holds up, but they're getting some answers here that may be speeding up this timetable for them a little bit. The big issue for me is, is what you said about starting pitching. 
What are they going to be able to do in their rotation? It's still going to be really short, even if they add a, a top pitcher. You know, at this point right now, if they if they bring back Kyle Gibson, who's under a two-year deal, you'd have whoever it is they signed as a free agent, Kyle Gibson, Dane Dunning, and then who's your number four, who's your number five. So well, that's, the, that's the answers to that. The answers to those questions are very possibly this, Kevin. If you go out and say, instead of one pitcher, we're going to go after two, you potentially put together a veteran one-two at the top of the rotation. Um, and the number five possibility very, mu- very much becomes potentially Cole Wynn. Um, I don't know if he'll pitch in the big leagues or not this year, but I, I, I think that uh, by, by the start of next year, Cole Wynn will be very much in the picture uh, for the rotation. And the other possibility would be if the Rangers go out and draft Jordan uh, Kumar Rocker or Al Light or Jack Leiter, they are looking at those guys with the possibility that before by certainly by the 2023 season that one that one of them could be in the rotation, uh, if not sometime during 2022. That quickly, they'll come up that quickly. You think? I think that they, yeah. I mean, I think they feel like both those guys um, are very advanced pitchers and I think that's why uh, you know uh, they favor them maybe over the shortstops they feel like there's going to be a more um, immediate impact that will time up more with with when this team is ready to contend again now that kind of links to uh, your boondoggle uh, your latest boondoggle which you you went to uh, Oxford Mississippi to uh, sample the local fair and then maybe watch a little baseball uh, on the side. And, and that's what you did. You, you were there with John Daniels. Uh, you were part of the Rangers crew. Were you not scouting these guys? Yes, I was, I was right there scouting them with John Daniels, um, and Todd Walther. Uh, I did run into them there. did get a chance to talk to John for a little bit. Um, he certainly wasn't going to break down either of the two starting pitchers that he came to see. He's just not going to give anything away there, but I feel like uh, and, and I highlighted this in my story. If, if you came to see Kumar Rocker throw his fastball, then you left disappointed. If you came to see if he could pitch, then you had to leave impressed because he he pocketed the fastball early after Vanderbilt, uh, after Ole Miss kind of attacked it and pitched with secondary stuff and was very effective after that. Uh, if you came to see Jack Leiter um, and were concerned about where he was after he was scratched last week, I think you got some reassurances that, that he's right back on track. Um, fastball was ranged up to 97. The breaking ball was really good. But I also, you know, it, to me, it felt like a, a two-pitch outing, that it was that it was those two pitches. Um, and I think that the, the, if you're going to make a quick ascent to the major leagues, you need a little bit more um, confirmation of a third pitch. Well, that wraps up another episode of Sports Day Insider. Is it over already? Well, Evan, all good things come to an end, I suppose. The show is produced by Jeff Whittington. And presented by the Dallas Morning News. Our theme song is by Dallas's own John Dufalo. Don't forget to follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your quality podcasts. You'll never miss a Sports Day Insider episode, and you'll discover some other great shows. And if you liked what you heard... Please rate the Dallas Morning News feed and give us a review. It helps us reach other sports fans and news junkies. Learn more about this show and other shows at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find special Dallas Morning News subscription rates just for listeners. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next week.